Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Doing good. You guys dry? Yeah, welcome to Seattle, Georgia. My goodness, it's been raining for, seems like forever, and it's all in the forecast for the foreseeable future. So glad you guys are here today on a muggy day. Glad everyone who's joining us online, glad you guys tuned in. Hey, if you would, as always, take a second and like and share the live stream. Help us get the word out there. You guys in-house today, too. Y'all can hop online for a second and share the live stream and help us spread the word as well. And uh, we'll reach as many people as we can for Jesus. Does that sound good? Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to a lot of stuff coming up, the, the Elevate service, really looking forward to that. It's a great time to just come in and connect with the church on a whole new level. Whether you want to get involved or not, it gives you an opportunity to hear the heartbeat of our church and get a glimpse of our vision and what we're all about. And if I'm going to be a part of something, I want to know what it's all about. And that's a great opportunity for you to be able to do that. Fourth of July, I love it. It's National Celebrate Our Freedom Blow Stuff Up Day, especially in the South. Golly, man, in the South, we love blowing stuff up. I can't promise we're going to blow stuff up here, but we're going to have a lot of fun on that service. It's going to be a shorter service, uh, good worship. We're going to have a, a brief, good message, and we're going to celebrate and have fun as a family. If you want to be a family and a body of believers, then you ought to be able to hang out from time to time, and that's what we're going to do. Man, we're going to have some good barbecue. I heard rumor that somebody's going to smoke some meat for us on that day, too, guys and gals. We're going to have some good cue that day. Uh, we've got bounce houses and water slides for the kids to play on, and the big kids, too. We did get a request, though, that there be no skinny dipping uh, in the water slide pool when we have it out there. So you know who you are. You've been told, so don't do it. Um, so uh, it's going to be a great day, and it's going to be a great opportunity for us to reach out to our community, too. We're going to send invites out all over the area and try to turn it into a community outreach here at the church. You know, not a lot going on that day. Um, we want to give the community something to do before the night falls and stuff gets blown up all over the place. So uh, it's going to be a great day. Uh, happy Father's Day. To all the men in the house. Hey, can we give all the men and all the fathers a great big round of appreciation today? Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Glad that you guys joined us today. Um, I'll say this again. Thank y'all for showing up on a nasty weather day. It says a whole lot about people when they show up when the weather's nasty. But we're glad that you guys are joining us online too. So don't feel like we're slamming you. Um, sit back drink some coffee, eat some breakfast, whatever, in your PJs today. We're glad that you're, you're tuned in with us. Uh, we're going to continue our series today on the life of Paul. And uh, man, I tell you, Paul's just a fantastic character. Um, and it seems weird somehow talking about Paul on Father's Day, but you'll see in a second how we're going to tie it all together. <laughs> there, was this, there was this guy uh, back in the 1800s uh, had a son. Son hated, absolutely hated the outhouse that he had to use. It's behind the house, up against the creek, and he's, I hate that thing. It stinks. It's old. It's moldy. Gets splinters from time to time. And one day, he went outside and he just had it. This boy just, it, something clicked in his head and said, I want to, I've had it with this outhouse. He ran to it and he just pushed it as hard as he could. And he noticed the outhouse toppled a little bit. He's like, it's never done that before. He backed up again. I want to take this thing out once and for all. He ran up there and he hit it. And the outhouse toppled over and it went into the creek. And then the boy freaked out because he knew what he just did. So he went running away. 
went out in the woods and he said about an hour or so he figured you know what there's no way to hide this I might as well face the music it worked for George Washington when he owned up to what he did it's going to be the same for me I want to own up to it and maybe I'll get a lesser sentence from Paul when he hears what I did so he goes back over to the to the house and his daddy was out there in the yard waiting for him boy come here and the little boy said okay it's now or never I hope my strategy works he walked up to his dad and he said, Boy, you know anything about that outhouse being in the creek? And he said, Yes, sir. I will not tell a lie. I will not tell a lie. It was me. And his daddy started taking off his belt. And the boy said, Whoa, 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 wait a minute now. When George Washington was a boy, he cut down cherry trees and he told the truth about it and he didn't get in trouble. And the dad said, Yeah, boy, but George Washington's daddy wasn't in the cherry tree when he cut it down. So having kids can be an adventure. You know, having kids can, you never know what's going to happen. And especially as a father, uh, man, we got a different set of skills that we bring to the table when it comes to raising kids. And sometimes moms are better prepared for some things than we are. And I remember uh, with Abby, this is several years back, man, she was all into animals and sounds. And we were learning letters and numbers and all this stuff. And she was, I don't know, two years old she could talk halfway decent and so we were driving into town and I forget what it was we were going into town for but she was in her car seat sitting in the back and it was a cool day so I had the window down and we were just driving and singing these little kids songs that I'm so glad we don't have to sing every day anymore can I get an amen from the parents in the house my lord so we were driving down the road and uh making animal noises and she would go chicken bop 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 and so I'd, I'd do mine you know horse and and so we were just having fun and then it was my turn again and I said I'm a cow just like that had some fun with it she just started laughing her head off I'm talking like belly laughing you know when a kid gives you that kind of laugh you got to do it again so I did it again. I'm a cow. <laughs> She's just having the time of her life back there. Pull up to a red light. And I said, I'm going to do it again. I'm a cow. <laughs> She's laughing in the back. So I do it a couple of more times. Then I realize I got the window down. I'm sitting there at a red light, and I look over, and sure enough, the person in the car next to me had their window down, and they're just going... Because they see this full-grown man sitting in his car going, I'm a cow. Then I realized the windows are tinted in the back and they might not be able to see my kid in the back seat. This person thought I had lost my God-blessed mind. Crazy guy riding around thinking he's a cow. Y'all might want to pull him over and check that out. There might be a little bit of drugs involved in it. You know, it's crazy the situations that kids can put you into, man. But it's fun being a dad. It's fun being a dad. So, lady, listen, I want you to lean into the message today, just like on Mother's Day, where we made uh, moms and women the focus of the service, and we asked the guys to still lean in because the word still applies. Same thing today. I'm going to be talking to fathers and talking to dads. We're talking to the men in the house, but I'm also talking to the ladies and the students as well because the word of God is a word of God, and it applies no matter what your gender is. Amen? So, um, all the stuff you could talk about 
the life of the Apostle Paul and all the things that he went through and that he overcame and um, preaching to hostile crowds that wanted to, to kill him. And, you know, we say he wrote the majority of the New Testament, um, planting churches and doing the things that he did. I think one of the most overlooked aspects of the life of Paul was how he stepped into the role of a spiritual father um, in the life of Timothy and, and the churches that he led. And you see him accepting that role in his writings, especially in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll pick up there today. If you brought your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open up there your tablets or your phones, whatever you've got today. If you don't have anything, as usual, we'll have the scriptures on the screen for you so you can follow along. Paul's writing, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or Apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. What a resume. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He calls Timothy his true son in the faith, and he does it again later in that chapter around verse 18, First Timothy. He says, Timothy, my son... I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Paul's encouraging Timothy to stay in the battle by remembering the prophecies and the promises of the Lord, but he's doing it from the platform and out of a heart of being a spiritual father. And Paul never had any children. Um, he even mentioned you know, how he wasn't married in Scripture and chose to do so so he could be more available for the calling that God had placed on his life. And that's pretty noble to do that. Um, everybody's called to do different things with his life, and that was certainly part of what he was called to do. No children, but he calls Timothy his son. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul's view of spiritual fathership goes a little bit further. In verse 15, he writes, Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Paul stepped past the role of pastor. He stepped past the role of evangelist, past the role of apostle or apostle, and, and, and he stepped into the role of spiritual father. Spiritual father is someone that does life with you. Spiritual father is someone that's there for you in the good seasons and the bad, who walks along beside you. You know, we have a saying here at this church, at Eastgate, no one walks alone. And that's certainly part of the heart of a spiritual father or a spiritual mother, that we don't just teach and train from a distance, but we're right there with you, hand in hand, side by side, on the battle line, making sure that we keep step with where the Lord is leading us. And Paul took that approach in his ministry. And I think that's incredibly important for us today, especially on Father's Day. Because listen to me, gentlemen. You may be a father. You may not be a father. But we all have the opportunity to be spiritual fathers to the next generation and to the people that we lead in our households, in our families, at work, and at church. We have that opportunity. And there's a huge gap in society today. I, I'll tell you, if... If never before now, we need spiritual fathers to stand up. We need spiritual fathers to stand up. Because, because as the spiritual fathers go, so the families go. 
so the churches go. And as the church goes, so the culture goes. And as the culture goes, so this nation goes. If we want to see revival come to America, if we want to see this country of ours do a 180 and go running back to God, it is going to come on the shoulders of men leading the way and being the example that God has called us to be. Being spiritual fathers. We need our spiritual fathers to stand up. And the enemy knows this too. Amen. He knows it too. If you look back in Scripture, you can see what, one of the most consistent attacks from the enemy is the attack on the men. Yeah. The attack on the men. Even at the beginning, Adam and the Garden of Eden, yeah. Satan went for him because he knew if he could take out the man then the man would forfeit his authority and dominion on the earth because the man represents God's place of authority on this earth. Amen. He went after him then. He went after Moses when God got ready to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Amen. He attacked the men. And all, those, all the young males of a certain age, under a certain age were killed in an attempt yeah. to stop God's plan. But you can't stop God's plan. When Jesus was born, the same thing happened. Herod freaked out because he heard the prophecy of a king being born, thought he was going to lose his throne. Satan moved through him to try to squelch the redemption plan of God by killing the young males. And he's still doing it today. He's not doing it so much by a gun or by a sword, but he's doing it on an onslaught like never before seen on our hearts, on our minds, on our emotions. It is a relentless attack on authentic manhood and men being the person that God has called them to be. It's nonstop. It's nonstop. In fact, I can't look back on a time in history and see a point in history where there has been so much poured out from the enemy against a man. It, it's like if you, if you are an authentic man serving God and embracing your masculinity that God gave you, you're an enemy of the state in today's society. Amen. Like there's something wrong with you. Amen. There is nothing wrong with a man being a man. And there is certainly nothing wrong with a man being a man and worshiping the God that created him. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with hunting, nothing wrong with fishing, there's nothing wrong with cooking stuff on the grill, there's nothing wrong with wanting to shoot, there's nothing wrong with embracing your emotions, there's nothing wrong with being there for your children, there is nothing wrong for taking a stand and living your life by a set of principles, no matter what anyone says or does, you can be a man and serve the Lord. I don't care what society says. I don't care. The enemy tries to attack because he knows that if he takes out the spiritual fathers and leaves that role vacant, then he has an inroad to do what he wants in the home and in society today. And I want to read you some numbers that are kind of sobering so you can see what happens when the male is absent in the home and in the church and we don't lead in the role that God has called us to. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of children with behavior issues are from fatherless homes because 
the man is not there to correct and bring discipline into the life of the child. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent chemical abuse patients in treatment centers right now are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison are from fatherless homes. Listen to this statement. This is unbelievable to me. If a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one child in 50 will continue their faith into adulthood. Do the math on that. That's about 2%. 2%. Men, we need you to be the spiritual fathers that God has called us to be. Now look at the change in this scenario. When a father goes to church, even if his wife does not, 66% of the children will continue their faith into adulthood. There is something about a man stepping into the role that God has called him to stand in and his family. When both parents attend church, 75% of the children will continue their faith into adulthood. Well, it's better when we do it right. Amen? It's better when we do it right. We need, we need the man of God stepping into that role. Joshua, when he was leading the children of Israel into the promised land, ran into this situation with men stepping up and being who they were supposed to be and being like fighting this war of influence from culture and society and pushing that aside and trying to figure out how to stand on their own two feet in front of God. And Joshua calls all the people of Israel together to speak to them and especially speaking to the men in Joshua 24, starting at verse 14. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Joshua gets them all together and he looks them all in the eye. And I love the guts it takes to do this. And he says, hey, hey, choose. Choose for yourselves. Choose for yourselves. Make a decision. Choose who you're going to serve. Choose what you're going to stand for. Choose what you're going to be all about. Don't be 50-50. Be 100% in one direction. He says, listen, if you want to be influenced by the gods that are, that are worshipped by the culture around us, because that's what was happening, they were being influenced by the cultures around them and losing sight of their history, their heritage, and the God that they were called to serve. And Joshua said, enough of it. Can't be 50-50. Jesus would echo this later when he was speaking to the church. And he said, hey, I would that you would either be hot or be cold. Pick one. But because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. That, that's a polite way of saying it. Jesus says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. The way you're living in between in a lukewarm way is making me sick. That's what Jesus says. And this is what, what uh, Joshua is saying to his people. Choose. 
Choose what you're going to do. You can't have it both ways. Because what's happening is affecting the families in our tribes. And we need to put an end to it right now. You can't ride the fence spiritually forever, guys. You've got to choose. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. Maybe the reason why your life is upside down and crazy and you can't get traction and you can't find peace is because in our hearts we're double-minded and split between culture and the Word of God. And gentlemen, I know you're going to appreciate this. If you ride the fence too long, eventually bad stuff is going to happen. Bad stuff is going to happen. Joshua says, choose who Choose who you're going to serve. I love that he said, choose who you're going to serve because we all serve something. We're all going to serve someone. Baloney on that, Pastor Josh. I don't serve nobody. I'm my own man. I do what I want when I want. I don't serve nobody or no thing. Well, actually, you're serving yourself, which is a work of the flesh, which is a fruit of sin. So actually, you're serving sin, and you're just deceived. Some people, they serve the TV. Some people serve alcohol. Some people serve relationships. Some people serve peer groups. Some people serve work. We're all going to serve and put something as an item of worship in our lives. Some people serve sports. Some people serve fill-in-the-blank. And we can even elevate our own families to the place of being an idol before God. Something is going to sit on the throne of our hearts. Let's let it be Jesus. Amen? Let's let it be Jesus. Joshua says, choose who you're going to serve, whether the gods of your ancestors or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. He says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He said, listen, as for me, I don't care what you guys choose to do. You make up your own mind and you make a decision for yourself. But as for me, I know where my feet are planted. I know where my priorities are. I am going to serve the Lord. At work, I'm going to serve Jesus. On the way home, I'm going to serve Jesus. At church, I'm going to serve Jesus. When I'm at home and nobody's there and I can watch anything I want to on the TV or the computer, I'm going to serve Jesus. I have made up my mind who I am going to be and my family is going to follow after me. We need men to stand up and say, I am going to follow Jesus. Do what you want to do, but me and my family, and the people that I influence, I'm going to influence them all the way to Jesus. We need that. We need that. We need men to shape the culture of their family and their church. We need men to shape the culture of their family and their church. Gentlemen, I don't think you appreciate how much influence you have in your house. I don't think you appreciate how much influence you have in the church. And this is what I know. And if we don't, if we don't take a stand and influence our families towards the things of God and take a stand, and instead of living a double life, we live consistently for Jesus and set an example at home and in the church and point our people, not just by our words, but by our lifestyle towards Jesus and shape the culture around us. If we don't do that, it's going to be shaped by someone else. Listen, it's going to happen. So the choice is, are we going to be the culture shapers and the standard setters 
in our homes and in our marriages and in the church and in the workplace? Or are we going to surrender that to somebody else? Because there's a voice speaking to your children. And it's either you or it's the world. There's a voice speaking in your family and it's either you or it's the world. Let it be you pointing your kids towards Jesus. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. I'm going to give you an example here in just a second how the world will creep in and speak to your children. It speaks through the television. It speaks through the movies. It speaks through YouTube. It speaks through um, Instagram, social media. It's speaking to our families constantly. This cartoon clip that I'm about to show you played on the show Blue's Clues. Y'all heard of the show Blue's Clues? Okay. This clip I'm about to show you played on the cartoon Blue's Clues. Listen, that kids will be watching. You're going to be shocked. Maybe not. You'll be infuriated at the agenda and the indoctrination that was presented to kids at a very young age during Pride Month this year. Guys, go ahead and roll that video and show now, if you have your kids sitting in front of Blue's Clues or you, on the Blue's Clues YouTube channel, you now see them with a cartoon drag queen that's based on a real drag queen. And the cartoon drag queen with Blue, they do a parade with, with cartoon animals and they sing to your children about, uh, about uh, that they should embrace LGBTQ. And this, this is your children. Now watch this one. And they have a pride parade. Marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Family marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mummies. They love each other so happy. And they all go marching in the big parade. Families marching two by this two. This is your children's show. Families marching two by two, hurrah. I know the video froze there, but you could hear the words, right? So as the parade went by, that's what they were celebrating. Well, Pastor Josh, who do you, what gives you the right to say who can love who? And It's not about what I think or don't think. And I want to be clear so everybody knows. I, I hate churches that always say what they're against. You know, I'm always a bigger proponent of saying what we stand for because there's a whole lot more to do than to stand against. I'm all for being proactive. But there are times where you have to stand up and say, hey, pay attention to this stuff because it's detrimental to what's happening. I don't have anything against a homosexual. I don't have anything against a transgender person. In fact, I, I love them just like I love anyone in this room. And I know that Jesus died for them just the same as he died for me for my messed up life that I had before I gave my heart to him. Okay? We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So I'm not going to stand up here and be a hypocrite and point fingers at somebody else because they sin differently than I do. If you choose to do that, then you choose to do that. And that's fine. That doesn't mean that I have to condone it. 
And it's not even about me condoning it. It's not about my opinion. It's not what I say. It's about what the Word of God says. Okay? And sooner or later, we're all going to have to answer for that. So if you choose to go that way and that's your personal choice, then that's your personal choice and you can stand before God and you can answer for that. I want to stand before God for my own personal choices. I get that. But this that we just showed you is not that. That is not someone making a personal choice. That is a movement trying to indoctrinate a vulnerable child's mind before they have an opportunity to even know how to think for themselves. Okay, that's, that's messed up. That's messed up. If we were to call that company and we were to say, hey, we noticed you had this cool parade going on on Blue's Clues and all this stuff talking about gay pride and promoting that lifestyle. What if, what if we did another parade and we showed a bunch of people celebrating Jesus and we promoted the love that comes from Jesus, the forgiveness that comes from Jesus, the healing and the restoration that can come to families through Jesus and talk to little boys and girls about how it might be messed up in their home and they might feel like there's something wrong with them, but Jesus loves them where they are anyway. You know what they would tell us? We can't play that on TV. We're not going to put that on our... Okay? Listen to me, gentlemen. Somebody is speaking to your family. Your kids are watching this stuff. Your students are watching this stuff. And maybe even you are entertaining yourself, your spouse, with stuff that promotes everything that goes against the Word of God. And I'm here to tell you, we need to be the watchman on the wall setting the standard for the culture in our families. We need to watch out for this. Okay? The only way this changes is if men change the attitude and focus in the home. And the church catches on fire because men get a backbone and decide to stand up and lead by example in the church. Then we'll see revival fire go across America. And we'll see this stuff begin to change. Would you have seen this stuff 50 years ago in this country? So blatantly promoted? Why? 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 Listen, gentlemen. We got to wake up. We got to wake up because there's more at stake here than just our comfort. We've got to be the standard in the home that God has called us to be. And I get it. I get it. You say, what in the world can we do? I mean, there's so much of this stuff going on. What in the world can we do? And I'd say, you do what you can in your sphere of influence. And you might be amazed at what God is able to do through you. How many of you have ever heard of a guy named Norman Borlaug? Some of y'all have heard me talk about him before. Uh, it's been about a year or so since I talked about him in church. But Norman Borlaug is a, a phenomenal individual. He won a Nobel Prize, a Nobel Peace Prize, for figuring out a way to hybridize wheat and corn to grow in an arid climate to offset famines and people starving to death. And he is credited with saving, to date, knocking on three billion 
lives because of his research and work. Wow. And all he did was use his gifts and his talents and did what he could. And the ripple effect for that was tremendous. It's tremendous. Almost three billion lives. And he gets a Nobel Prize. But maybe all the credit doesn't need to go to Norman Borlaug. Because there was a man named Henry Wallace, who's vice president of the United States, who had a passion for botany and for agriculture. And he had an idea. And he said, what if we figure out a way to hybridize wheat and corn so it'll grow in dry and arid climates? And we could produce food in areas that don't normally produce food and we could feed starving people and save countless lives because of it. It was the vision that was in the heart of Henry Wallace. He threw it the whole weight of the office of vice president behind it and started the program and got it funded and he hired a man named Norman Borlaug to do the research and the work and to make it happen. So it was Borlaug's work but it was Henry Wallace's vision that Norman was carrying out. So maybe Henry Wallace has just as much to share in it as Norman, but he was just doing his part in hopes that it would impact somebody else. Maybe it didn't all rest with Henry Wallace. There was a brilliant young student going to university. He was doing so good in school that his professor made him his student assistant and got so close to him that he would let the student take his son out and watch him while he had important meetings. And about every Saturday, the student would take his boy out on botanical adventures, and they would go out and look at different plants and growing in different environments. And this student, who was so passionate about agriculture and botany, began to teach this young boy, and he put in this young boy's heart a passion for that. And it was George Washington Carver who planted that seed of passion in the heart of Henry Wallace who would later go on and had the vision for, ha for hybridizing wheat and corn who would turn Norman Borlaug loose to accomplish that vision. But it all came from the seed that was planted in the heart of a young boy by a student named George Washington Carver who in his own right was almost a miracle worker and hybridizing plants. The work that he did reshaped our world too. So maybe it was George Washington Carver who was just spending time with a boy that made that much impact in the world. Unless you go back one step further to a poor farmer couple named Moses and Susan. They lived in Missouri, close to the border of Kansas, and they, they did what they could. They worked hard and made a living for themselves. And Susan had a best friend that lived close by whose name was Mary. One evening, this group called Quantros Raiders came riding through the town. It's just this racist group of outlaws that traveled around um, 
towards the end of the Civil War and after the freeing of the slaves, just attacking people of color and doing heinous things. And they ran through the town and they burnt down Moses and Susan's barn and they shot Susan's friend, Mary, kidnapped her little son, who's about a year old, and ran off with him. And Susan begged her husband to do something about it and so Moses saddled up the horse and he rode to town and he rode around the territory and he did his best to get word spread out that he wanted to have a meeting with the Quantros Raiders to try to work up some kind of exchange for the boy. After a couple of days he had success and word got back to him that he was to meet them at a crossroad just across the state line over in Kansas. And so that's what he did. Saddled up a horse with the supplies that they demanded and scraped up all the money that he had to meet what they demanded and off he rode and he met them there and he traded his last good horse and almost everything he had to his name for what the guys threw at him in a little burlap sack and he caught the boy took him out of the sack malnourished cold barely clothed and he tucked the boy under his coat and rode back to his farm all the way talking to him you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. We're going to take care of you. My wife and I are going to raise you. And he decided on the way home, we're going to raise you. We're going to give you the best education that we can afford to give you. We're going to give you the best shot at life. I'm going to love you like my own. And that's how Moses and Susan Carver took responsibility for the young child, George Washington. And they gave him their name, George Washington Carver. Moses kept his word, and he put him into school and gave him the best education that he could and became a brilliant student who earned the right to take the son of his professor out and planted that seed of passion that became a vision that became the work of a man named Norman Borlaug who was going to save almost three billion people in county. They just did what was right and they did what they could. Maybe Moses and Susan have just as much stake in over th almost three billion plus being saved because of that. It's amazing. You just do what you can. Listen to me, gentlemen. What you, do, what you do, it matters. It matters. What we do matters. And the ripple effect of our actions, listen, we don't know who will influence. We don't know who will be impacted because of the example that we set and the stand that we take. You don't know. What we do absolutely matters. We need spiritual leaders in our families and church. We need spiritual leaders in our families and church, gentlemen. And I know what you're saying. Lead how? Lead how? If I say, you need to rise up and be the man of God in your home and the spiritual head of your home, some of you are going to say, how? Because you didn't have that example. Maybe your dad was, wasn't worth a plug nickel. Maybe your dad fathered you 
and then you never saw him. He wasn't present when you grew up. Maybe your father was abusive, verbally abusive, physically abusive, and all the love you ever got shown was the backside of his hand. Maybe your father was anything but a man of God growing up, and he gave you an example of everything not to do in the home. So we have this group of men in large parts who never saw that example, never saw that standard, was never trained, never equipped. How, how, how can I be something that I don't know how to be? And I would tell you simply, just be yourself. Be the leader that God has called you to be. I don't know how to lead. Well, listen, I teach when I, when I train leaders. It's a big passion of mine. I love to come alongside leaders and help them develop their skills and develop their calling and, and go further in, in their, their calling than they could on their own. I, just, I love coming alongside people and, and helping them go further than they could by themselves. And one of the things is just a solid leadership principle that gets taught, and maybe you guys have heard this, is that you can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Gentlemen, I wouldn't put so much stock on the teaching and the training that you feel like you're unqualified to do. And that stuff's important, but what you teach and what you train has no weight at all if you aren't living the example that you're teaching. Make sense? So I would challenge you to not be pressurized on what to say or what to do. I don't know if I can have a Bible study in my home. Okay, then don't worry about having a Bible study in your home right now. Focus on being who you're supposed to be. And by your example, by your example, you'll inspire others as they see the change in your life and they see the consistency that you live out. How many of y'all have seen somebody that told you to do something and then they lived their lives a completely different way? How much respect did you have for that boss or that leader or that teacher? Or that No, because you would call them hypocritical. So the best thing to do is to get first things first and to be a leader and you lead best by leading by example. You lead by example. Paul understood this. And he was writing to the church in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Man, we need to be able to say in our homes and at work and in the church, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. But following Christ comes first. Following Christ comes first. I'm going to say it one more time. I want you all to wake up for me. Following Christ comes first. You've got to settle that in your heart and follow him. And so you can set the example as you follow the example that's been set for you. Listen to me, gentlemen. Listen to me, gentlemen. This right here. This right here is where you become a man on your knees, submitted to a holy God. This is where you become a man. 
Listen to me. Lifting up your hands and worshiping the God that created you. You were created to worship Him, so worship Him. That's where you become a man. Listen, not in a bar, not at work, not on a football field, not in a gentleman's club, but on your knees, submitted to God, saying, God, mold me, shape me, change me from the inside out, make me who you want me to be, take the junk out of my life so that I can be the example for my family, so I can be the example in church, so that I can set the standard and not be a hypocrite around the people that I work. Change me, renew my mind, get the old way out of me, God. This is where you become a man. This is where you become a man submitted to God. And you let him change you from the inside out so that you can be the example that he's called you to be. He does the changing. All you have to do is allow him access to do it. Simple change. question that I ask myself, and I want to ask you, I want to ask everybody this morning, men and women, especially the men, question I want to ask you is, and this is what I ask myself to keep myself in check sometimes, is if everyone blank like me, what would our families and church look like? This keeps me in check as a pastor. All right, Pastor Josh, if everyone prayed like you, what would our families and church look like? Gentlemen, ask yourself that question. If everyone read the Word of God like you, what would our families and church look like? If everyone worshipped like you, if everyone gave like you, if everyone served like you, if everyone lived like you, what would our families and church look like? If everyone compromised like you, what would our families and church look like? If everyone watched porn like you, what would our families and church look like? If everyone was two-faced and one person at work and another person in church like you, what would our families and church look like? It's a penetrating question because I can promise you this. The answer to those questions are shaping the culture of your family, shaping the culture of your children. It's setting their spiritual futures. And it's setting the tone and the effectiveness of the church. What you do matters. What I do matters. What we do matters because we are setting an example. And it's the most powerful form of influence in the life of an individual. Because people will listen to what you say but they'll model how you live. Gentlemen, we need to be spiritual fathers that are modeling the lifestyle that points people to Jesus. I know what you're thinking. Pastor Josh, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a good thing we got Jesus to help us. It's a good thing we got Jesus to help us. There's a young lawyer with a young family just moved to Chicago and starting a new practice and he got his office set up and they bought a home less than a mile from where his office was so he figured you know what I'll do I'll just walk to work every day and I won't have to worry about driving it'll help me keep in shape and I can walk there and back it's less than a mile so I'll get 
almost two miles of walking every day. That would be awesome. And so he started his practice, and he would walk to work, and then walk home, and walk to work, and walk home. And along the way there, just inside the city, before he got to his office, there was a, a bar along the way, open 24 hours. And he'd walk past it and hear all the noise, and he'd go to work. Well, after a few months of doing this, his practice started picking up traction, and he started getting clients and dealing with the court cases and the pressure from the new business and the pressure from running the practice and the pressure from the complicated cases that he was overseeing started pressuring him and weighing down on him. So he thought, you know what, I'll just slip into the bar on the way home and have a little drink to take the edge off. And he didn't do it every night, just maybe once, twice a week. And as the weeks went by, it became three, four days a week. And eventually, every day on the way, walking home, he would slip into this bar, have a drink, and then go home. Well, as the firm grew, the pressure increased, and it changed from every evening on the way home to he would slip out and walk a little bit at lunch and have a drink. And it just snowballed. To the point where he was stopping on the way to the office to calm his nerves before he dealt with the pressure that he was going to take a break from that afternoon and then get another break from that evening on the way home three times a day. He was a full-blown alcoholic drinking at home. And wintertime came and they had the first snow and he went on his usual course, walking to work. You know, his feet crunching in the snow. And he got to the bar, and he was about to go in for his morning drink. And he heard a voice behind him. And he said, Dad, Dad, wait up, wait up. I want to go with you. And he turned around, and he saw his son chasing after him. He said, Boy, what are you doing? He says, Dad. I followed you all the way here. I could see your footprints in the snow. I followed you all the way here from home. And the dad looked at the scene and he was cut to the heart. He said, buddy, we're going to go home. He picked up his son and he walked all the way back home. He gave his boy to his wife and she was, was apologetic. I'm sorry, I don't know what happened. I just turned for a second and he was gone. And he said, no, it's okay, it's okay. He, he followed me. He was following me to work. It's all right. I'm going to go outside for a second. And when he was walking out, he picked up his phone and he called the office and said, I'm not coming in today. I'm going to spend some time with my family. And he looked to the side and he saw his footprints in the snow. And then he saw his little boys. following right along and he made a decision in his heart and he said never again never again if my kids follow me I am not going to lead them to a place that is going to destroy their lives God I promise you that from now on every step that I make will be a step that leads my family closer to you.
that leaves my children to you. I'll lead them to church. I'll lead them to your word. I'll lead them to worship. I'll lead them to understanding how to be the people that you called them to be. Instead of the way that I was leading them before. I will never lead them to a bar. I will lead them back to you. Guys, we have an opportunity. The same way to make a choice. To lead our families and our children and our churches in the right direction. And the footsteps that you've been leading may not have been leading to the best places. And the example that you've been setting may not have been the best. But the beautiful thing about the gospel and the beautiful thing about Jesus is that every day His mercies are fresh and new. And every day is an opportunity to change the course of our lives and write a new story. Every day is an opportunity to take our set of footprints in the right direction. To be the example that God has called us to be. Because I can promise you this, they're going to follow you. And they may act like they're not listening to you, but they're watching you. They're going to follow you. Your wife is going to follow you in that marriage. And the spiritual climate of your home is going to be affected on whether you are or are not stepping into the role that God has called you to step into. The atmosphere and environment of the place that you go to work could be completely different if you stepped into that role instead of like Joshua and said, hey, you guys can do what you want to do. I'm going to live my life to please God. Completely different. Listen, gentlemen, the church is following our footsteps. And it is our responsibility to stand up and lead and be the men that God has called us to be. Authentically embracing the manhood that God has given us and authentically embracing the men that God has called us to be in leading by that example. Bow your heads and close your eyes today.